0: Good afternoon, this hearing will come to order. Uh, We are holding this hearing to consider the nominations of four individuals to be ambassadors, uh, one to the Marshall Islands, one to Georgia, one to Lithuania, and one to Albania. Uh, I want to first welcome our nominees. I want to thank you for your past service. Uh, I'm I'm pleased to note that uh, all four of these nominees are career members of the Senior Foreign Service. Uh, In my discussion, as well as taking a look at the background, not only highly qualified uh, in their past service, but also for these uh, ambassadorships to, their, to which they've been nominated. So, again, re- really appreciate your past service and your willingness to continue serving this nation And as, as ambassadors. Uh, I do uh, welcome their families and their friends. Uh, I want to encourage you in your opening statements to uh, point them out and introduce uh, the people that are here supporting you because I think we both re- recognize th- these positions are full-time positions. This, this takes uh, a lot of effort, and there's a lot of sacrifice of uh, you know, members of the Senior Foreign Service, so they oftentimes, you know, away long hours even when family members are in country, but oftentimes, uh, you know, worlds away as well. So again, we really appreciate that level of service and sacrifice, so uh, please point out your family members. I'm just going to ask that my written opening statement be entered in the record, and then I'll turn to uh, Senator Shaheen, see if she has some opening comments.
1: Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I want to echo your congratulations to all of our nominees today, and thank both you and your families for your service. I think um, these days that career officers in our Foreign Service are under um, some stress, and that you feel the weight of great responsibility on your shoulders, and I want you to know how much all of my, I and all of my colleagues appreciate the work that you do for the United States to uphold the values of this country, and I, I'm sure that as you take on these new positions that you will also um, continue to uphold the country's values. So I will submit my statement for the record as well and look forward to your comments and to your responses to our questions. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Senator Shaheen. So we'll go from my right to my left. Our first nominee is Ms. Roxanne Roxanne Cabral. Um, Ms. Cabral is the president's nominee to be ambassador to the Marshall Islands. Ms. Cabral is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service and currently serves as Deputy Chief of Mission and Chargé d'Affaires uh, at the U.S. Emb- embassy in Panama. Her previous posts include Director of the Office of Policy, Planning and Resources in the Office of the Undersecretary for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs, Public Affairs Officer at the U.S. Consulate, Gen- Consulate General in Guangzhou, China, and at the U.S. Embassy in Tirana, uh, Albania. She also served in the Office of South Central Europe in the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs. Ms. Cabral.
2: Thank you, Mr. Chairman and members of the committee. I'm honored to appear to you be- I'm honored to appear before you today as the president's nominee for US Ambassador to the Republic of Marshall Islands. I am grateful to President Trump and Secretary Pompeo for their confidence in nominating me for this position, and I am equally grateful to receive your consideration. With the chairman's permission, I would like to present my family. My husband, David Schroeder, and twin sons, Roman and Evan, are watching via video from Panama. But I'm thrilled that my eldest son, Quinn, my mother and father-in-law, Nancy and Tom Schroeder, my niece, Grace, my sister-in-law, Sue Charlton, and her mother, Deborah, are present here, as well as my mother, Nancy, and my sister, Lisa, who inspired me to public service. I am grateful for their love and support. Over my 22-year career as a Foreign Service Officer, I've worked in Washington and around the world to promote U.S. interests and build strong partnerships. If confirmed, I will draw on my leadership experience in regional policy, public diplomacy, and managing government institutions and programs to advance the United States' enduring strategic interests in the Indo-Pacific. The Marshall Islands is a reliable partner that supports U.S. engagement in the region and our priorities globally. The Marshall Islands shares our positions on many important issues at the United United Nations and is also one of Taiwan's remaining diplomatic partners, playing an important role in maintaining stability in cross-strait relations. If confirmed, I will work to maintain our strong partnership and leverage the goodwill fostered in May of this year when President Trump met jointly with the presidents of the Freely Associated States. If confirmed, I will focus on three priorities. First, maintaining a strong security relationship. Second, fostering economic prosperity and stability as our countries approach a critical juncture under the compact of free associations. And third, strengthening democratic institutions. Mutual security of our nations is a core feature of our special relationship. The Marshall Islands host an important military installation which provides critical testing, support for our missile systems, and also will serve as a location for our space fence. More broadly, I will work to strengthen our ongoing partnership to keep the Indo-Pacific region free and open, implement U.N. Security Council sanctions, promote maritime security, combat illegal unreported and unregulated fishing, and tackle transnational crime. If confirmed, I will work with the Marshall Islands government to advance sustainable economic development. The United States is the Marshall Islands largest donor partner, a key trading partner, and a contributor along with Taiwan to a jointly managed trust fund. I will advocate for the most effective use of U.S. assistance, look for ways to attract more private sector interest, and work with the Marshall Islands as they build a prosperous, healthy, and more self-sustaining future. I recognize that the Marshall Islands as a country with a maximum elevation of six feet above sea level has profound concerns about the impact of rising sea levels. If confirmed, I will support ongoing and future efforts to enhance resilience and mitigation and to engage with the Marshall Islands on these issues. If confirmed, my third goal would be to strengthen governance, rule of law, democratic institutions, and civil society through partnerships, technical assistance, and education and exchange programs especially for future leaders and women and girls. I also recognize the already rich people-to-people ties that include service by Marshall Islands citizens in the U.S. Armed Forces. Shared history and common values make our friendship with the Marshall Islands one of the strongest in the world. If confirmed, I will continue our work with the Marshall Islands on issues of mutual concerns to both our country. The history of the nuclear testing program and settlement of claims arising from that program are but one facet of our unique and long-standing relationship. I will seek constructive, realistic approaches that will be grounded in areas of mutual agreement while respecting the differences we may have in the evaluation of such issues. Mr. Chairman, in closing, I pledge to protect American interests, ensure fair treatment for U.S. citizens and their businesses, and to promote our values. I appreciate the opportunity to appear before you today and am pleased to answer your questions, thank you.
0: Thank you, Ms. Cabral. Our next nominee is Ms. Kelly Degnan. Ms. Degnan is the President's nominee to be the Ambassador of Georgia. Ms. Degnan is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service and currently serves as the political advisor to the Commander of U.S. Naval Forces in Europe and Africa. Her previous posts include Deputy Chief of Mission of the U.S. Mission to Italy, Deputy Executive Secretary of the Department of State, and Deputy Chief of Mission of the U.S. Embassy in Pristina, Kosovo. Ms. Degnan has been awarded the Secretary of State's Expeditionary Service Award. She speaks Italian, French, Turkish, and Urdu. Urdu. I can't even pronounce it. Uh, Ms. Degnan.
3: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ranking Member Shaheen. I am deeply honored to appear before you today as President Trump's nominee to serve as the United States Ambassador to the Republic of Georgia. If confirmed, I pledge to work closely with this committee to advance U.S. interests and values in Georgia and to build on the productive partnership between our two countries. I'm very grateful to my family and friends for their unending support during my 26 years of government service, especially my sisters, Kate and Kim, and my partner, Doug Morris. They're watching from San Francisco and Italy. Um, But I have a nice contingent of friends, local friends, who've come to support me today. I so wish my parents could be here today as well. Um, They were originally from small towns in upstate New York and Colorado, and the core values that they lived by, hard work, respect, integrity, personal accountability, continued to guide me. While I have not yet had the chance to visit the Republic of Georgia, the issues facing Georgia are not new to me. I was serving in neighboring Turkey when Russia invaded Georgia in 2008. A year later, I was at NATO headquarters where Georgia was and is a valued partner. Allies reaffirmed their 2008 pledge that Georgia will become a member of NATO just last year at their summit. And during my three years at NATO, I was always impressed by Georgia's commitment to making the reforms that were necessary and strengthening its military. We saw that commitment in Afghanistan, where Georgia has deployed one of the largest contingent of forces, fighting with no caveats and at the cost of 32 Georgian lives and 290 wounded. Georgia is still there with us, with almost 900 soldiers deployed to NATO's Resolute Support Mission. Now, as the foreign policy advisor to U.S. Naval Forces Europe, I've seen Georgia's value as a capable, dedicated partner supporting U.S. and NATO presence in the Black Sea. Our outstanding security cooperation underscores the fact that Georgia is a key partner in a geostrategic region of vital importance to the United States. We will continue our steadfast support of Georgia as it makes the reforms necessary for NATO membership and economic integration into the European Union and the West. Our work together is aimed at strengthening Georgia's capacity to to defend its borders while it builds a prosperous, integrated, democratic society. If confirmed, I look forward to working with the Georgian government on these and other priorities. The progress that Georgia has made has not been easy, and there is still much work to do to hold and build on those achievements, especially in promoting a pluralistic legislature, an independent judiciary, a diverse media, and a vibrant civil society. A continued commitment to the principles of democracy and rule of law is absolutely fundamental to Georgia's Euro-Atlantic integration. If confirmed, I will make it a priority to work with all stakeholders in Georgia to ensure that next year's elections are free and fair. Perhaps because of its successes, Georgia still finds itself the target of destabilizing and destructive Russian actions. The United States will continue to be a vocal advocate of Georgia's sovereignty and territorial integrity within its internationally recognized borders we strongly condemn the ongoing occupation of Georgia's Abkhazia and South Ossetia regions by Russian forces and Russia's attempts at borderization of the administrative boundary line. The solution to this conflict, which is a result of Russian aggression, is for Russia to fulfill its obligations under the 2008 ceasefire agreement, including withdrawing its forces to pre-conflict positions, allowing humanitarian access and reversing its recognition of Abkhazia and South Ossetia. If confirmed, I commit to sustaining our efforts to help the Georgian government and people build a resilient, prosperous society that values its rich and diverse heritage, and that can withstand the pressures of Russian malign activities and growing Chinese influence. Thank you again for considering my nomination. If confirmed, I will be a strong representative of our country and all that it stands for. I look forward to your questions. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ms. Degnan. Our next nominee is Mr. Robert Gilchrist. Mr. Gilchrist is the President's nominee to be the Ambassador of Lithuania. Mr. Gilchrist is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service and currently serves as the Director of the State Department's Operations Center. Previously, he served as Deputy Chief of Mission of the U.S. Embassies in Sweden and Estonia, Director of Nordic and Baltic Affairs in the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs, and Chief of the Political Section of the U.S. Embassy in Romania. He speaks Spanish, French, Estonian, and Romanian. Mr. Gilchrist.
4: Mr. Chairman, um, Ranking Member, Distinguished Members of the Committee, it is a privilege to appear um, before you today as the President's nominee to serve as the United States Ambassador to the Republic of Lithuania. I am grateful to President Trump and Secretary of State Pompeo for the confidence they have placed in me. If confirmed, I look forward to working with the committee, your staffs, and your congressional colleagues to build on the strong and vibrant relationship between the United States and Lithuania. Mr. Chairman, with your permission, I would like to acknowledge some of my family members who are here today. I'm deep, deeply grateful to my two big brothers here, um, David and Donald, for the continued support and consistently honored, uh, honest opinions, as you can get from brothers. Um, they are here with my sister-in-law, Lynn, niece, Amelia, and nephews, Duncan and Liam. My parents are no longer with us, but I'd like to think that somewhere they are watching, Um, as none were prouder of my Foreign Service career. They gave me a sense of adventure and curiosity about the world that I have carried with me everywhere I have gone. For 29 years, I have cherished the privilege of serving my country as a career diplomat in Europe, the Middle East, and South America. I served in Romania as that country acceded to NATO and the EU. I served in Iraq during one of its most violent periods as we worked to lay the foundation of eventual stability. And I served for nine years in leadership positions focused on the Nordic and Baltic region. The relationship between the United States and Lithuania runs long and deep. It is a relationship built on more than 100 years of unbroken diplomatic engagement between two republics, including during Lithuania's half century of forced incorporation into the Soviet Union, It is a relationship nurtured by the transatlantic ties with the many American citizens of of Lithuanian ancestry and it is is strengthened through the partnership of the United States with Lithuania in in addressing today's threats to freedom and security worldwide. Since Lithuania proclaimed proclaimed the uh, the restoration of its independence in 1990, it has energetically embraced democracy and free market principles. It joined NATO and the EU in 2004, and with the United States, it has partnered with us in numerous fora in support of democracy and human rights. Lithuania has also been a particularly staunch supporter of the Euro-Atlantic integration of Ukraine, Georgia, and Moldova, providing generous assistance. Since the Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2014, the Lithuanian government has worked with us to maintain strong sanctions and press for full implement- implementation of the Minsk agreements. Increased Russian aggression over the past decade has elevated security concerns along NATO's eastern flank. A proponent of burden sharing, Lithuania has met the NATO target of dedicating 2% of GDP to defense spending since 2018. The funds, supplemented by US military assistance, are used to modernize Lithuania's armed forces and training facilities while enhancing NATO interoperability. Next summer, Defender 2020, a joint multinational U.S. Army-led exercise will test the effectiveness of this investment. The United States also works with the Lithuanian government to counter Russian-sponsored disinformation campaigns and cyber hacking. Beyond Europe, Lithuania is a committed ally as well. It is a partner in the global coalition to defeat ISIS and actively contributes to counterterrorism operations. This includes deploying trainers to U.S.-led Operation Inherent Resolve in Iraq, redeploying its special operation forces to Afghanistan as part of the Resolute Support Mission, and providing financial support for the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces. If confirmed, I will work to continue our close cooperation in addressing global challenges to the security of the United States and our allies. Lithuania further enhances its security by building the resilience of its economy. After a 17% drop in GDP in 2009, Lithuania's economy rebounded to become one of the most vibrant in the EU. To reverse an immigration trend, the government has has created a financial and regulatory environment favorable to innovation, startups, and foreign direct investment. The United States is Lithuania's 15th largest uh, investor, with 13,000 Lithuanian residents employed by U.S. companies. Lithuania has also moved expeditiously to diversify its energy sources and routes, substantially increasing its energy security. In 2014, Lithuania completed the unbundling of its gas and electricity sectors and opened an LNG import terminal in 2015, providing the first means for non-Russian natural gas to enter the Baltic region. Through the U.S.-EU Energy Council and bilateral engagement with the Departments of State and Energy, we have helped advance projects creating new gas and electricity links between Lithuania, um, as well as Estonia and Latvia, with their EU neighbors, If confirmed, I will continue this strategy to further enhance Lithuania's energy security as well as that of the entire Baltic region. Lithuania is a partner and ally on whom we can rely, and that partnership is due in part to the ties of friendship between Lithuanians and Americans. If confirmed, I will prioritize public engagement throughout the country and across the Atlantic to multiply those ties through increased business, educational, professional, and cultural exchanges. In sum, if confirmed, I seek to advance US interests and enhance the resilience of our Lithuanian ally by strengthening bilateral defense and economic ties and promoting the democratic values we share. Mr. Chairman, thank you again for this opportunity to appear before you today. I look forward to answering your questions.
0: Hey, Mr. Gilchrist. Our final nominee is Ms. Yuri Kim. Ms. Kim is the President's nominee to be the Ambassador to Albania. Ms. Kim is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service and most recently served as the Director of the Office of Southern European Affairs. Her previous posts include Director of the State Department Center for the Study of Diplomacy, Chief of Staff to the Deputy Secretary of State, and Director of the Office of European Security and Political and Military Affairs. She speaks Korean, Mandarin, Japanese, and Turkish. Ms. Kim.
5: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Shaheen, and distinguished members of the committee. It is a distinct honor for me to appear today as President Trump's nominee to be our next ambassador to the Republic of Albania. I'm grateful to the President and to Secretary Pompeo for the confidence they have placed in me. If confirmed, I would be the first Korean American woman to represent our great nation as an ambassador. I would also be our first ambassador from the great U.S. territory of Guam. Mr. Chairman, You had uh, said earlier that uh, you would encourage us to uh, introduce our friends and family, and I'm really afraid that they are going to all too enthusiastically introduce themselves (laughs) back here. (laughs) I'm particularly pleased to have with me uh, two of my three brothers, um, my my four siblings, um, Young and Air Force Lieutenant Minu Kim. One is fostering innovation and entrepreneurship in Silicon Valley and the other proudly keeps our nation safe as a munitions officer at Minot Air Base. My parents and other family members are also no doubt watching from Guam and wherever else they might be, and I thank them for their support. For more than two decades, I have had the privilege of serving our country as a Foreign Service Officer. From Beijing to Baghdad and points in between, I have sought to ensure that the United States remains strong, safe, and secure. That our people and our businesses thrive, and that we continue to shape the rules and lead the institutions that have undergirded America's peace and prosperity over the last century. If confirmed, I look forward to continuing those efforts by further strengthening our already robust and productive relationship with Albania. Few friends have embraced America more warmly. Poll after poll shows Albanian support for the United States remains among the highest in the world. Few allies have been more loyal. Albanian troops have been at our side in Afghanistan, Kosovo, Bosnia, and NATO's eastern flank. Few partners are more ready and willing to do more with the United States. We have a strong and loyal friend in Albania, and it is imperative that we hold friends like Albania close to us, especially in the face of strategic challenges to our shared interests, values, and institutions. If confirmed, I would advance three priorities. First, I would encourage Albania to maintain its steady course to reach the 2% Wales Defense Investment Pledge by 2024, so that Albania is an even stronger and more capable ally. Since Albania joined NATO in 2009, Albanian soldiers have fought side by side with American troops. In Afghanistan, the Albanians have been with us advising and training Afghan forces. Albania has also been a reliable partner in the global coalition to defeat ISIS. Albania's actions demonstrate that it it not only appreciates the benefits of NATO membership, but that it embraces the responsibilities of NATO membership. Second, I would continue to promote Albania's development uh, as a democratic nation. In the immediate term, I would press Albania's leaders to resolve the current political impasse in a way that reinforces Albania's EU accession bid and best positions it to succeed during its term as OSCE chair in office in 2020. Albania's EU aspirations, and the uh, reforms that they entail, will lead to more prosperity and stability for the country and for the region. It will also make Albania a stronger and more capable ally of the United States. More fundamentally, I would reinforce U.S. diplomatic and foreign assistance support for strengthening the rule of law, combating corruption, and combating organized crime. The United States should continue to encourage Albania to fully implement judicial reforms, continue the vetting of judges and prosecutors, and establish an independent special structure against corruption and a national bureau of investigation. I would also redouble US engagement and technical assistance in the investigation, prosecution, and punishment of corruption and transnational organized crime. Third. If I were confirmed, I would work to promote U.S. exports and U.S. investment in Albania so as to provide opportunities for both U.S. and Albanian citizens and to generate jobs in both countries. U.S. investment requires a welcoming business environment and a level playing field for our companies and investors. In this respect, I would underscore that confidence in the rule of law and transparency are essential. As we pursue our priorities, I would do my utmost to manage and safeguard our resources abroad, especially our most important resource, the dedicated employees of our embassy. Their hard work and dedication are essential to achieving the goals of the United States and the American people. We owe it to ourselves to take care of our people, to make sure that they're safe, uh, and to provide the support and the resources they need to succeed on behalf of our nation. If confirmed, I look forward to advancing the interests of the United States by working together with Congress and this committee to continue strengthening our strong bonds with the government and people of Albania. Thank you for considering my nomination, and I look forward to taking your questions.
0: Thank you, Ms. Kim. I really appreciate the attendance of my colleagues here. Now, to respect for their time, I'll defer to Senator Shaheen.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'd like to begin with you, Ms. Kim. Um, No, I'm sorry, Mr. Gilchrist. As... Last week, when we withdrew our troops from Syria, we deployed a battalion to Lithuania for an unprecedented six-month rotation, clearly a move intended to deter Russian aggression in the Baltics and Lithuania. So can you, as you assess the challenges facing Lithuania, do you see Russia as a threat, and what kinds of actions do you see Russia engaging in in Lithuania that um, would be of concern to the country?
4: Um, Thank you for the question, Senator. Um, No, indeed, I think um, Lithuania is certainly a valuable ally and one of our staunchest ally uh, along the eastern frontier of the alliance. Lithuania, I think, over the past decade has seen a number of of challenges from Russia as as the the Russian um, government has increased military spending and as they've increased their attention towards towards the Baltic states. I think one of the biggest challenges has been Russian disinformation. Um, The Lithuanians have been at the forefront in terms of countering that um, disinformation, including through public-private partnerships, um, but also working closely with us. Um, the, we're, we're happy that the Lithuanians have increased their defense budget. Um, they've increased it to 2% with a commitment to actually increase it to 2.5% by 2030. And certainly we're working closely with them to ensure that that additional funding is spent wisely in terms of increasing interoperability and in, in, in terms of increasing their preparedness. Uh, they they uh, they are certainly happy um, to have American troops on the ground in such substantial numbers. Um, we've supported the presence of the NATO enhanced presence um, led by the Germans um, for the past few years, um, which has been a thousand, roughly a thousand NATO troops um, um, in a very forward manner in Lithuania. Um, we've also um, staunchly supported um, NATO air, air policing, which has gone on for several years and participated in that actively. Um, The Lithuanians continue to see greater engagement. I think um, the the, the, the larger our footprint is in the Baltic region, I think the happier the the Baltic um, countries are themselves. And certainly, if confirmed, um, I would work to strengthen that relationship in every way I possibly can.
1: So it's been several years since I was in the Baltics, but one of the concerns that I heard when I was there was the disinformation campaigns that you referenced. So what kinds of engagement can... We participate in with Lithuania to address that disinformation.
4: Um, well, we've the embassy has already engaged, I think, in, in training of journalists and um, and in and in, in working in ways to to support the traditional media um, that's already in Lithuania. Um, we've worked with the Lithuanian government on. Um, and, and with Lithuanian security services on programs that allow them very early on to detect Russian misinformation and I think if you look um, through through some of the recent press you'll see how the Lithuanians really in a masterful way have gotten out ahead of an issue before it became an, an issue um, domestically um, and so they they are indeed at the forefront in many ways I think there's some things that we could possibly learn from them as well
1: Do you have any do you want to be more definitive about what you think we could learn from them.
4: Um, well, I've I've seen they, they have this this um, this very active public private partnership I think across the Baltic region where private citizens are actively looking at what's um, what's showing up in the media and then working with the government on that and I think it's something that's um, um, that's interesting but also it's been very productive in Lithuania.
1: Well, certainly I would agree that there we need to take a look at disinformation here in the United States as well. Um, Let me now go to Ms. Kim. Albania and Kosovo have had an ongoing dispute, as I know you're aware, and there has been some concern that ethnic Albanian Alban Kurdi, who's poised to become Kosovo's next prime minister, has advocated for Kosovo's strong integration with Albania. So the Serbian government believes this view to be provocative and not helpful to Serbian-Kosovo normalization. Is there a role for you as ambassador to work with the governments of all three of those countries to help um, reduce tensions and to try and encourage um, normalization of relations?
5: Thank you, Senator, for that extremely uh, timely and important question. There is no doubt that the United States uh, can play a major role in helping to resolve a very prickly Uh, potentially explosive issue. Um, As ambassador to Albania, if I were confirmed, I would work with leaders there to emphasize a few points. Number one, the United States has made a tremendous investment in the region um, in bringing peace uh, and in working with countries in the region to develop their capacity to stand independently, to stand peacefully, and to stand as, in a word, a team. Secondly, I would emphasize that uh, reverting to calls uh, that appeal to ethnicity as opposed to values and to respecting existing uh, borders is not helpful. Um, third, I think you're aware, Senator, that we have not just one special representative, but two special envoys, actually, um, to deal with exactly this issue. So I think there's no doubt that the administration is strongly committed to doing what we can to help resolve the, the issue.
1: Well, with respect to your second point about the ethnic tensions within Albania, can you talk a little bit about what, what are some of the things that Albania is doing to reduce those tensions?
5: My understanding, Senator, is that Albania, uh, I don't know that ethnic tensions are a a specific problem in Albania. Um, They are a problem in the region and have been, as we all know. Um, Within Albania, they tend to be secular, um, and I think that we would want to encourage them to look towards building institutions that cut across uh, identity politics.
1: Um, On another note, one of the things that I and others on this committee we're very pleased to see was when Albania agreed to take the residents of Camp Ashraf who had been stuck, um, the Iranians who had been stuck in Iraq. And Can you give us any update on how they're doing and whether um, the government continues to welcome them to the country?
5: We've been working closely with the Albanian government for the last few years. Uh, We have close to 3,000 MEC residents living just outside the capital. Um, We continue to work closely with the Albanians to ensure that, uh, number one, that they're safe. Number two, that they have the means to integrate into Albania and uh, to become productive citizens for the duration that they're there.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Young.
6: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Before we get started, I have a number, uh, just seven questions that um, my hope is all of you can um, go ahead and answer at the same time. They should be very easy. Have you adhered to applicable laws and governing conflicts of interest?
3: Yes. 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 Okay,
6: And, and we can all answer at the same time to number two. Have you assumed any duties or any actions that would appear to presume the outcome of this confirmation process?
5: No.
4: No.
2: No. Right, no. Okay,
6: thank you. Exercising this committee's legislative and oversight responsibility makes it important we receive testimony, briefings, reports, and recordings, records, and other information the executive, uh, from the executive branch on a timely basis. Do you agree, if confirmed, to appear and testify before this committee when requested by the chairman and ranking member?
3: Yes. Yes, I do, Yes. yes.
6: So much of this is about the prerogatives of the committee, which I think is very important. Um, Do you agree to provide documents and electronic communications in a timely manner when requested by this committee, its subcommittees, or other appropriate committees of Congress and to the requester?
3: Yes. Yes.
6: Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you. Will you ensure that you and your staff comply with deadlines established by this committee for the production of reports, records, and other documents, including responding timely to hearing questions for the record?
3: Yes. 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 Right.
6: Yes. Will you cooperate in providing witnesses and briefers in response to congressional requests? Yes.
3: yes. 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 Yes.
6: And finally, will those briefers be protected from reprisal from their briefings? Yes.
2: Yes.
6: The word was reprisal. Yes. All right. All right. Yes. All right. Well, thank you. And, and Congratulations to all of you for your nomination, and uh, I I would expect confirmation uh, here today. I have a a question for uh, Ms. Cabral. Um, We we certainly appreciate the hospitality of the Marshall Islands to be a strong ally in the region and a host of our military. Um, The history of our missile testing done in that area was essential to the military might that we still exhibit today. How do the Marshall Island leaders and citizens feel about our ongoing military presence there?
2: Thank you for the question, Senator. Um, As you mentioned, we have a long-standing and historic relationship with the Marshall Islands. We share the same values. We share the same common objectives to maintain support for a free and open Indo-Pacific with freedom of navigation. And so as I understand it, we still have that strong support of the Marshall Islands in this respect, thank you.
6: That's good to know. So, following some news of the neighboring Solomon Islands and Kiribati ending their diplomatic relations with Taiwan, complying with the Chinese influence in the area, the Marshall Islands went the other direction and adopted a resolution to show its profound appreciation to the people and government of Taiwan. The Marshall Islands president said, we've all seen China's attempts to expand its territory and footprint, and this should be of great concern to democratic countries. I find this welcome news. Uh, what actions will you take as ambassador uh, miss, uh, to ensure that we remain a close ally of the Marshall Islands?
2: Thank you for that question. Um, it was good news to to see that affirmation from the parliament and the president of the Marshall Islands was just in Taiwan last week to sign some bilateral cooperation agreements in the areas of economic and, and education exchange. So, if confirmed, I would try to strengthen this relationship, encourage a stronger relationship, and help. Uh, the Marshall Islands create um, an environment that can push back on predatory economic practices of China that we've been seeing around the world. Thank you.
6: I loved how you ended that. Uh, I've I've held a couple of subcommittee hearings on China's predatory economic practices, so um, that's, uh, I think, the right direction, especially in light of China's effort to expand its reach Uh, Through the Belt and Road Initiative, our work to demonstrate our commitment to the region is being challenged every day. Uh, You know that so well. If confirmed, Ms. Cabral, how will you express our commitment and support, not only uh, to the Marshall Islands, but to the broader region?
2: Um, I think there are three ways that we can express our support for um, Taiwan and also against the predatory economic practices that I mentioned. And one is to increase transparency and expose bad deals. And another one is to um, provide alternatives. We provide a better model. I, I agree. I, I strongly believe this, and there are tools that this committee has created, such as ARIA and the Build Act, that can help us do that. And the third one is just be present and work with our allies on this. China has no allies, and I think this is something important to remember. We have a long standing relationship with many of the countries in this region, an historic relationship. We share the same values and the same common objectives. Thank you.
6: Yeah, ar- arguably. Um I, I don't think you disagree. From a geopolitical standpoint, that it, that's our greatest natural resource, our, our alliance system, right? All right. Thank you so much. I yield back, Mr. Chairman.
0: Senator Kane.
7: Thank you, Mr. Chair, and congratulations to each of you. I have both a Virginia resident and Ms. Cabral and a UVA graduate and Mr. Gilcrest, and so it's particularly good to congratulate you on your nominations and, and on your long careers of service. I want to ask a question to, Ms. Kim, Mr. Gilchrist, and Ms. Dagan about uh, Russia and NATO in the countries that you're involved in. So Albania and Lithuania are NATO members and Georgia is not. Um, Georgia, there's often been a discussion about NATO and the future of Georgia. So I think all of you are are able to kind of grapple with this one. And it really is to get advice. Um, there was a, a NATO-Russia founding act that was signed in 1997. And the reality at that time was uh, the transition away from the Soviet Union and the breakup of the Soviet Union and new countries emerging. And so the act basically established that NATO would not, in a whole series of ways, would not sort of present itself as a hostile face to Russia. But the phrase that was used in the act was also, also put some burdens on Russia. Um, let's see. Russia was obligated, quote, to exercise similar restraint in its conventional force deployments in Europe. The invasion of the regions of Georgia, the seizure of Crimea, uh, Russian-supported separatists in the Donbas area of eastern Ukraine, Russia really hasn't abided by its portion of this agreement. Um, one One of my proud possessions as a dad is a photo of my son, being sworn in as a captain, being elevated from first lieutenant in the United States Marine Corps in a snowy field in the middle of Lithuania in December of 2016. He was deployed there as part of the European Defense Initiative. And I know in Lithuania there's been a desire for more presence, possibly permanent NATO presence. Thus far, we've decided to, to have large exercises. There's one coming up next year, Defender 2020, where we will be doing significant exercises. Just sort of for purposes of the committee, and I'm on the Armed Services Committee as well, but NATO is one of these things that is both Armed Services and Foreign Relations. As professionals, what do you think about the NATO-Russia Founding Act? There's been some who suggest we should should scrap it. There's some that suggest it's already a dead letter. How should we be thinking about this as policymakers in terms of uh, how we approach diplomacy or, or military engagements with the nations that are... Uh, near Russia. They have not exercised restraint in their military deployments in the region. Um, So what does that mean about how we should approach this particular agreement?
3: Thank you very much. That's a very interesting question, Senator. Uh, Having served at NATO, I've seen the value of the NATO-Russia Council. It can be a very frustrating Uh, forum, but it is a forum for dialogue, and continuing that dialogue is absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. As you pointed out, NATO is a political military organization, and the political part of it has um, been essential to bringing peace and stability and prosperity to Europe. Um, It is a defensive organization that has served Europe and the United States and Canada well. Um, I, I think it's um, um, essential that we continue to put that forward, that, that um, opportunity forward, to have dialogue with Russia. Um, it goes in waves in terms of how constructive it is, but again, um, it underscores the fact that sovereign nations have the right to choose the alliances they belong to, such as Georgia, such as Lithuania and Albania. And, um, and uh, I think NATO will continue to be a, a strong force for stability in Europe as a result. Thank you.
4: Other comments? Um, I would I would agree with that in terms of the need to ensure that there's still a forum for dialogue. Um, obviously, over the past five to 10 years, the relationship um, NATO's relationship with Russia has been on the decline in light of the the Russian invasion first of Georgia and then of Ukraine. Um, it's been a particular concern to the Baltic states. Um, although Lithuania doesn't have a substantial Russian population per se, it is um, strategically located um, um, as a as a border country with Kaliningrad. Kaliningrad um, and. You know, what we get from the Balts is they, they, they want greater U.S. engagement in any way possible. Um, and certainly they work, welcome the enhanced um, presence, um, the enhanced NATO presence, which I think has been critical, continued NATO um, air policing. Um, and um, and um, I, I've just been reading the press today um, some of the statements coming out from the senior leadership of Lithuania. They're certainly very pleased about this exercise and having 500 troops on the ground. Do you have an opinion about permanent NATO presence in Lithuania?
7: Thus far, it's been significant. For deployments and exercises and things like that, there's often been
4: a request by Lithuania that there be a permanent presence there. I mean, I, I, I think the the, the, the Lithuanians and all of the Baltic states will continue asking for as much as we're we're willing to give, and I certainly we have certainly we have to be. Understanding and sensitive to what their security concerns are with regard to a permanent president presence, I'm not um, not prepared to comment on that right now. But I certainly think a a robust relationship on security on every level is fundamentally important, if not um, existential, um, for the security of the Baltic states. Ms. Kim.
5: Senator, thanks for that question. Um, I think the key to the strength of NATO and its utility going forward for the United States uh, relies on three things, solidarity, integration, and interoperability. Um, In all three of those respects, uh, Albania could could not score higher. Um, Thankfully, the Russian narrative does not get much traction in Albania. And I think, as I said in my statement, uh, it behooves us to hold friends like this more closely at this time.
7: I'll just say, uh, editorially, that I don't like the U.S. walking away from agreements, but I do think after 20 plus years, whether it's NAFTA or the NATO-Russia Founding Act, you've probably lear- learned some things, and the, um, the situation in the world, the situation in the region has changed dramatically. Russian behavior in the last few years has been very, very different. So it may be a time to assess the continuing value of the founding act and decide whether it might be improved upon and what kind of dialogue might lead that to happen. But I appreciate your answers and congratulate you on your nominations.
0: Thanks, Mr. Chairman. Senator Romney.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And thank you to each of you who have uh, decided to make the State Department your career and appreciate your willingness to serve uh, on behalf of our country and to serve in foreign places. It's an enormous sacrifice, I understand, and, uh, and it is very much appreciated by those of us who get to to live here and enjoy the freedoms that we have. Um, there, are, there are two great, if you will, geopolitical uh, 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 competitors that, uh, that are increasingly visible on the world stage. Russia has been such for a long, long time, China is increasingly uh, so. And, uh, and in the case of Russia, my perception is that, that they have a real problem, a shrinking population. Um, a, a weak industrial base. Yes, they have enormous uh, natural resources, uh, uh, energy resources in particular, but they've got some real problems with smaller population and certainly a small population relative to us and relative to their other neighbor, uh, China. So I would anticipate them continue to have um, uh, their eyes set on their neighbors as a way to grab population uh, and to grab industrial base and to try and strengthen their hand. And, and therefore, I do believe that our... Uh, uh, our posture in Georgia, in Lithuania, to a degree in Albania, uh, that those are areas where where it, it is important for us to uh, evidence our commitment to uh, to these nations and to the uh, principles of sovereignty that uh, that have been violated by Russia uh, in Georgia uh, in the past and also uh, in Ukraine. Uh, from the standpoint of the three of you that are in, in nations that are confronting that concern. Um, are there things that we should be doing that we're not doing? Uh, are there things we should be emphasizing more to make it very clear that we have a a full and complete commitment uh, to uh, uh, to preventing the uh, um, uh, the invasion of of other of other sovereign nations uh, by uh, by Russia?
3: Thank you, Senator. Uh, that is a very uh, timely question for for Georgia. I think we have demonstrated, um, all the friends of Georgia, especially the United States, the importance of continued vocal um, advocacy of Georgia's territorial integrity and its sovereignty. And our strong commitment to support Georgia Um, as it makes the kinds of reforms that are necessary to strengthen its institutions, to follow on the path that it has chosen, that Georgia has chosen to integrate into the European Union and the West. Um, This is where we can really be a true friend to Georgia. Uh, I think the assistance that we've been providing to Georgia, especially in terms of building Georgia's capacity, its resilience, its self-reliance, its ability to defend its own borders, Uh, is absolutely essential. And we're not the only ones. We have well-coordinated assistance provided with the European Union and others who want to see Georgia succeed. Uh, And they have made – Georgia has made tremendous progress in the last 20 years. Um, There's more work to be done, as I mentioned in my statement, but I I think the, the progress they've made demonstrates their commitment to integrating into the West. It's the choice they've made.
8: Thank you. Thank you.
4: Um, Yes, um, thank you, Senator, for your question. I think that any time a United States senator makes reference to the inviability of Article 5, it's a a message that resonates um, certainly throughout the Baltic states, um, but throughout NATO. Um, Since before Lithuania's membership in NATO, the United States played a central role in helping Lithuania rebuild its military forces, and we developed an incredibly strong relationship with them, um, sharing information at multiple levels. Um, And the Lithuanians have in turn fought with us side by side in Iraq, in Afghanistan, and in the war against terrorism. Uh, I, th- I think there's always more that we can do. Um, and I know that they're always seeking more. Um, but I will say that the, the presence right now of the 500 troops with Abrams tanks on the ground has been welcomed um, tremendously um, by Lithuania and I know by its Baltic neighbors as well.
8: Thank you. I'll just get a note before we leave Lithuania that that uh, I was uh, born and raised in Michigan, and there's a very substantial Lithuanian American community in Michigan. My father was a governor and a politician there, and and we spent a number of occasions uh, in the Lithuanian community enjoying uh, extraordinary uh, uh, food and culture. So I'm sure you will enjoy your experience there, and uh, please give my best to my Lithuanian friends.
3: I, I will. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
8: Uh, Any comment from Albania that... that,
5: uh... Sir, I think uh, in Albania what we want to do is two things. One, help the Albanians strengthen their institutions uh, so that they are more resilient against uh, attempts by Russia, uh, as well as, more importantly, I think in Albania's case, China. Um, to uh, infiltrate their economy and to futz around with their political moorings. Secondly, I think we want to work very closely with the Albanians to develop their capabilities as a NATO ally. Um, there's something to be uh, said about uh, uh, strength uh, and solidarity in these times, and uh, that is what I would focus on if confirmed.
8: Thank you. I I, I would turn for a moment uh, uh, to our friends in the Marshall Islands, extraordinary friends over such a long period of time, uh, which have uh, housed our military, and we share many values with the people of the Marshall Islands. I I salute them for uh, their recognition uh, of an important relationship with Taiwan, and, and hope that other uh, nations in the Pacific will, will recognize the importance of, uh, of, of transport, of open oceans, uh, and, uh, and, and maintaining the sovereignty of respective states. Um, the, uh, the commitment which, which Marshall Islands has made is, is a model. Uh, to what do you attribute this kind of uh, commitment that they have made in a way where other nations in the region have, have shrunk from that kind of uh, support?
2: I think that's an interesting question, and I, the Compact of Free Association, I think a large part of our relationship, which is built on a mutually beneficial relationship, has a lot to do with that. Um, It's, we have a very strong partnership with the Marshall Islands. We are there, and we are, will continue to be there, and I think that has a lot to do with it.
8: Yeah, thank you. Mr. Chairman.
0: Thanks, Senator Romney. You know, I think three of you mentioned the, Commitment and the contribution that uh, our allies have made to NATO operations, uh, Mr. Dagan, I think you mentioned 32 killed from Georgia. I, I don't know the exact numbers from the other nations. I know in total it's been about a thousand uh, since uh, NATO invoked Article Five in support of America after 9/11. So it's something I don't think we talk enough about. Um, it's something that we need to, and we need to acknowledge that. Uh, a lot of conversation about the disinformation, the persistent uh, nature of it coming out of Russia. Uh, I thought it was interesting, and I'm glad to hear it, Ms. Kim, that in Albania, they're just not buying it. Uh, they don't have much to sell. So as a result, and we've held hearings of this as well, is that Russia's primary goal in their disinformation campaign is just simply to try and convince people who can't believe anything. And so we did have a couple of weeks ago, you a... Uh, an interesting hearing, but we had uh, the nominee for the uh, Broadcast Board of Governors, and I was not able to stay, because the hearing dragged down a little bit too long. Uh, but one of, the, one of the questions I want to talk to him about, I, we submitted this for the record, was our ability, and I think uh, Senator Shaheen's aware of this as well, we have an ability to circumvent the firewalls to provide internet access to Russia, to China. Uh, the Broadcast Board of Governors is not using the resources uh, th- we've allocated to actually accomplish that goal. One way I think we can get them to convince them to do that, they'll, they'll focus on programming. And I, I don't think we'll ever keep up with Russia today and you know the, the pervasive uh, disinformation campaign in Russia, but just opening up, uh, mm-hmm. circumventing those firewalls, I think would be incredibly important. I think the more ambassadors that that message comes from, I think the, the more pressure will be on the Broadcast Board of Governors. So I'd just like to ask all of you because we're talking about both into Russia and to China you know Russia obviously is you know fomenting this proactively China is just obviously just closing things up and and preventing freedom as a result so can you just comment on uh, your commitment to trying to get the Board of Governors to, to pay more attention to that issue we'll start with you Ms. Kim.
5: Senator, I think what you say makes an awful lot of sense, and uh, if I have the opportunity, I would certainly um, explore that.
0: Mr. Gilchrist?
4: Um, I agree as well, um, Senator, and I imagine that um, my Lithuanian counterparts um, um, would agree with that as well. Ms. Degnan?
3: Thank you. Yes, uh, if I'm confirmed, I would certainly be happy to work with the committee on that, and uh, I agree with you. It's it's worth exploring. Thank you.
0: Ms. Mr. Cabral?
2: I also concur. Um, the world has changed in many dramatic ways in the last five, ten years, and especially the way we communicate, and it's important that we keep up with the types of communications that work today. Thank you. Uh,
0: Ms. Cabral, real quick, uh, is either in your testimony or in the briefing uh, on the Marshall Islands, is the whole issue of our, our nuclear testing there and the issue of waste and the protection of it. Uh, <laughs> I did not realize it's only six feet as maximum elevation there. Uh, that, in itself, could potentially threaten that nuclear waste. What do you know about that issue, and what do we need to do to protect that, Bo- both from you know, natural disaster, but also just from you know, malign intervention?
2: This is a complicated question, and I'm just getting briefed on the ramifications of this. I know we just committed uh, almost $2 million to do some additional monitoring and testing. Uh, of some of the 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 sites there, but it's something I would really like to dig in deeper if I'm confirmed
0: Ms. Kim you particularly mentioned organized crime uh, Organized crime is not the same region to region country to country So c- can you just kind of describe the type of organized crime you're you're really referring to in Albania? What's p- either particularly unique about that or, or not unique?
5: Albania has uh, an unfortunate reputation at this point for being the locus of organized c- crime that uh, moves people, in particular women, um, as well as narcotics across borders. It's a serious problem.
0: Ms. Dagnan, uh, Georgia has, you know, from my standpoint, has made some great progress in terms of rule of law. Uh, Reducing corruption, there's no such thing as a corrupt, free society. It's just where you are on that scale. And this has been in the face of just persistent aggression on the part of Russia. Um, Talk about what we can do to support Georgia. Again, I I, I appreciate the fact, and I also want all of you to comment on this as well. Uh, Our concern, we we just uh, ratified uh, North Macedonia's accession to NATO. Uh, from my standpoint, incredibly, credible, incredibly important. Uh, what I've seen, the incentives that that ability to join NATO, to join the EU creates for those governments to enact important reforms. Uh, Georgia has had that incentive out for quite some time since, uh, I think 2008 you mentioned, reaffirmed in 2018. And yet you have what, what France just did to North Macedonia and Al- I think Albania, uh, can you just comment on, on how important that is, that aspiration, but also what can we do to uh, keep those reforms moving forward?
3: Thank you, Senator. Um, NATO being a political military organization has very high standards. It's a rigorous process to become a member of NATO, and it should be. It shouldn't be easy. Uh, And I think, uh, at least from my experience when I was at NATO, Georgia is very aware of what the expectations are, and I agree with you, has made great progress, especially in the military area, and is working hard on meeting the political standards as well. We've been there to assist them, and we will continue to assist them. As that pledge uh, from 2008 indicates, the Allies are behind Georgia's membership, but it's on Georgia also to meet those very high standards of uh, political-military requirements that are essential to NATO's strength.
0: Talk a little bit about what, you, what your knowledge is of, of Russia's persistent aggression. I mean, they, they continue from, from my meetings, they continue to just move those lines forward. Uh, kidnappings, lack of uh, ability of, of Georgians to cross borders, to, to, meet, to visit family members. I mean, talk a little bit about... Uh, you know, really what Russia is doing there.
3: Thank you. It's very concerning, um, actually, the pressure that remains. And I think we saw that in August where there were increased tensions over Georgia uh, building a police post. And in South Ossetia, we have a mechanism in place, the Geneva International Discussions, that is designed to address those Um, those kinds of tensions. Some of the mechanisms like the incident prevention and response mechanisms are not being used as fully as they could be and I think that's been a constant um, uh, effort on our part and other members, uh, participants in the um, Geneva international um, international discussions to try and reactivate those. Our call for a EU, the EU monitoring mission mission to have greater access, perhaps even the establishment of an OSCE monitoring mission so that there's more transparency on what's going on in the occupied territories so that we have more opportunities also to build um, solutions on the ground, uh, I think would be very helpful in terms of breaking that kind of Russian aggression and control. Fundamentally, I think the most important support we can provide is to, be a a constant advocate for Georgia's sovereignty and territorial integrity um, and to call continually for Russia to fulfill its obligations under the 2008 ceasefire agreement. We simply cannot stop with that message. Thank you. Thank you. you. Senator Gardner.
9: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Thank you to the the nominees here before us today. Thank you for your public service and welcome to your families uh, this afternoon. Uh, Ms. Cabral, uh, thank you very much for uh, your time uh, you took with me here several weeks ago uh, in the office to discuss issues uh, surrounding uh, the Asia Pacific, the Indo-Pacific, and how we can enhance our presence and uh, commitment to the region. Uh, I also know that you had a little bit of uh, interaction earlier today. I think it was Senator Young talking a little bit about uh, ARIA. Uh, Thank you very much for your commitment to the Asia Reassurance Initiative Act. I think uh, this committee's work to get that legislation, not only through the committee, but signed into law. Now we have about two and a half billion dollars worth of uh, appropriations in the state and foreign operations uh, Appropriations bill Uh, really goes a long ways in showing to our allies in the region. The U.S. is committed uh, that we are uh, going to be a long time player in power, a long-term player in power in the Pacific, Indo-Pacific, and laying out how we can uh, do a better job of doing just that. So thank you very much for the commitment to the legislation. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Taiwan in particular. Uh, We have been working on a bill called the Taipei Act, which would create sort of a a diplomatic uh, roadmap, so to speak, of how the United States can um, enhance our support for Taiwan around the globe, but also how we can encourage our uh, allies and other countries to continue their support for Taiwan, to step up their support for Taiwan. And, of course, in the case of the Marshall Islands, uh, a country that continues to uh, support uh, the, uh, the relationship that it has with Taiwan. What can we be doing more to show our appreciation for the Marshall Islands uh, in that regard?
2: Thank you for that question. Um, It's an important one. And just last week, the president of the Marshall Islands was in Taiwan to sign a bilateral economic agreement and some other educational exchange programs. So I think fostering that relationship is something that we could do more of. And if I'm confirmed, I will work to strengthen this relationship.
9: Thank you. you. And could you talk a little bit about uh, uh, China and uh, what the United States can be doing to stand up uh, within the region on the Chinese uh, malign influences in the region?
2: Senator, we offer a better model. We really do. We offer a model that is based on rule of law, respect for our country's sovereignty and their own local laws, on fairness, on transparency. And that's why tools like the Build Act and ARIA are really important for us to help create a fair and even playing field so that our companies can compete evenly with China. And when we do compete, we win. So I would like to... um, use more of those tools to foster that kind of environment, if I'm confirmed.
9: Thank you. And U.S. compact assistance, obviously, with the uh, Marshall Islands uh, is beyond just any kind of an economic uh, partnership. This is goes to the very strategic core interests of our uh, relationship and presence in the Indo-Pacific. Could you talk and describe perhaps the strategic interest in the compact?
2: It's it's the foundation for our relationship, and it's really based on mutual benefic- benefits that we agree on. We share the same values. We have the same common ob- objectives. And so this this relationship through the compact will last in perpetuity. Um, right now, there are certain provisions in the compact related to economic assistance that are under review. So I look forward to seeing what kind of outcomes they... It, it, Thank you. And yeah. can you talk
9: perhaps about some of your experiences in Panama and how that relates with Panama and how it relates to uh, Marshall Islands?
2: Um, I've been spending quite a bit of time in Panama um, trying to educate them on the risk of doing business with Panama. As you know, they, with fl- China, yeah. with China. they, they flipped a couple of years ago. Um, it was a popular decision in Panama. Um, And it still is, but the new government has said all the right things about uh, maintaining the US as its number one partner in security and commerce and encouraging our people-to-people ties and I think that's a that's a good foundation for which to build on if I am confirmed to go to the Marshall Islands and do the same Deliver the same kinds of messages.
9: Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Senator Shaheen
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Ms. Cabral Some women's organizations estimate that more than half of all women in the Marshall Islands experience domestic violence. Um, Various studies have suggested that sexual violence of all kinds is common, but frequently unreported. And I know there is a new woman president, the first woman president. Is there any effort
2: that she's announced to address gender-based violence and the rights of women in the country? Thank you, Senator. That's a really important topic. And the role of women in, um, you know, increased role of women in societies has shown that societies are more secure and more prosperous. Um, I am not familiar with anything that she has introduced, but I would like to get back to you on that. I know she's been a champion of of women's rights in in her presidency.
1: And are there things that you think, as ambassador, you could do to try and encourage some action to address this problem
2: Um, I do I think if you look at our trafficking in persons report for example um, the Marshall Islands need to improve on investigations prosecutions and convictions in that area so if I'm confirmed I would try to enhance our law law enforcement cooperation in this area
1: that'd be great thank you I hope you will get back to us with the other uh, question because I think that's something we should share with the committee um, Ms. Stegnan, you and um, Senator Johnson were talking about NATO and Georgia's contributions to NATO despite the fact that it's not a member. Um, they became an aspirant country in 2011 um, and yet they've not become a NATO member yet. They also signed an association agreement with the EU in 2014. Um, but. It's still not on the Brussels list of candidates or potential candidates for joining the EU in the future. So one of the it seems to me that one of the challenges that we have is how do we keep Georgia on a path of reform, continuing to look to the West as where they would like to be when their aspirations have not yet been achieved with respect to NATO or the EU. So can you talk a little bit about what... How you think the Georgians view the failure to um, have been admitted to NATO at this point, recognizing that they've made a lot of reforms? As I'm sure you're aware, there are discussions among um, there are rumors that suggest that Georgia will not be admitted to NATO because of the impact that that would have on Russia. So can you talk a little bit about what, what we should be thinking about in terms of continuing to encourage Georgia? to look to the West and to continue their positive contributions to NATO and their aspirations to the EU.
3: Thank you, Senator. Um, As you say, Georgia has made a great deal of progress. And my impression when I was at NATO um, was that Georgia understands how much work is involved in becoming a member of that organization, the same with the European Union. These are designed, these were created to help countries come uh, a long way, and Georgia has. From a a Soviet state to to the democratic state that it is today, it's remarkable. Uh, But I think there's real recognition that there's still work to be done to have an independent uh, independent judiciary, a pluralistic legislature, a, a diverse media, uh, space for a civil society to really operate and be that, play that role that is so important in a democracy. So the the path, um, I think the, the confidence of Georgia is uh, evident in the high percentages that, that still favor joining NATO. I think it's about 70% and joining the European Union, which is close to 75% of the Georgian public still have chosen that path despite how hard it is, despite how long it takes. So what we can do is, again, to provide the kinds of assistance to help them make the reforms they need to, uh, as we have, um, and to continue to be a close partner and a strong supporter of their sovereignty. I think our military cooperation alone has been just a perfect example of what we can do together with the shared values we have and the same objectives to have stability in that region. Thank you.
1: And so do you think there's concern because of the continued frozen conflict there with um, Kazi and Ossetia and Russia's interest in those two uh, territories that um, that will prevent them from actually being able to join NATO in the near future?
3: I'm sure that is Russia's hope. And um, objective. And that's why we've put so much effort into resolving that conflict and keeping the pressure on Russia to meet its obligations under the ceasefire, to use the Geneva international discussions and other fora to try and um, resolve, find ways to resolve that. And Georgia itself has come up with some interesting initiatives to try and integrate those populations to do some people-to-people exchanges. Some of our assistance is also oriented at people-to-people exchanges to try and uh, have more communication flow with the people in uh, Abkhazia and South Ossetia. Um, it's it's going to take some time this is um, this is a very complex game that's being played there um, but I think those two tracks of trying to resolve the situation on the ground and trying to keep Georgia moving forward to its integration into the European Union and in the West is, is essential thank you
1: miss um, Kim I want to go back to Albania everybody you've pointed out about Albania's contributions to NATO, about their contribution to the global coalition to counter ISIS, and that has been very important. As I'm sure you're aware, there are reports that show that about 120 Albanians have served as foreign fighters with ISIS, and they have been detained in Syria and Iraq. If confirmed as ambassador, will you commit to working with the Albanian government to urge them to take back those citizens who have been serving as foreign fighters as you're aware I'm sure this has been a huge challenge that we've had with um, many of the countries who are home to some of these fighters and terrorists who have fought with ISIS are now being detained and are not being taken back to their home country.
5: Yes, Senator. Uh, The disposition of these foreign terrorist fighters who are in detention is a major issue for the administration, and certainly if I were confirmed to be ambassador to Albania, I would work very closely with uh, the Albanian government to resolve their share uh, of that issue.
1: Thank you. We have uh, in the defense bill, if it gets through, there is a position of a coordinator to help with detainees. So hopefully that will get done and that person can help focus on this issue. Because as we know, with our withdrawal from Syria and the unsteady situation there, we have a real challenge with those people who have been in detention. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thank you, Senator Shaheen. So again, we'll note that uh, Chairman Risch came to demonstrate his support for these nominations, I'm assuming. Correctly assumed, but I just want to thank the the nominees again for your your past service, uh, for your testimony, for your willingness to serve in the future. I want to thank your families for their support for this uh, career path you've all chosen. Again, it's uh, it's quite the commitment, and we truly do appreciate it. Uh, So, with that, uh, the hearing record will remain open for statements or questions until the close of business on Thursday, October 31st. This hearing is adjourned.